0: Welcome back to Bible Love. This is the first day after Ash Wednesday, so I hope your Lenten journeys are off to a meaningful start. The prayer today is from the prayer book for the Thursday after Ash Wednesday. Let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, by your mercy, obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen.
2: Listeners, I'm so excited because I've mentioned his name several times and he's finally here with us. Um, My Old Testament professor, um, Dr. Steve Bishop, the associate professor of Old Testament at the Seminary of the Southwest. Steve, I'm so glad you're here back reconnecting with your just lonely little student who tried so hard to learn from me. Um, and you were very patient and lovely with me and we were laughing before that it's hilarious that I'm doing a Bible podcast because that was not my favorite subject. (laughs) Um, but I'm loving doing this and I'm just really grateful you're here all the way from Austin, um, for us to learn, um, From you. So thank you, Steve. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Mary Balfour. Thank you, Alan, also for the invitation. And uh, well, I'm not surprised, you know, that uh, Mary Balfour, that you got involved in Bible love because you might not have been your favorite subject, but you loved it. You love the Bible, so I
2: do love the Bible. I do love the Bible. I just felt like I always struggled, but you were patient with me uh, so good, and I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank and you. We
2: hundreds of people more about the Bible, and so now you're going to get to eat, teach even more today that are listening because we're talking about Second Samuel. And listeners, as you remember, um, what we do is we kind of do an overview of the book before we dive into it. Um, verse by verse or chapter by chapter. So Steve is here to give us his wisdom about 2 Samuel. So what are some things you want us to know, Um, Steve? I'd love to hear.
1: Well, 2 Samuel is a very uh, exciting book. We know a lot of stories from 2 Samuel. And, um, you know, particularly uh, this being the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, you know, yesterday we prayed David's prayer from Psalm 51, uh, after his affair with Bathsheba mm-hmm. so there's a lot there that you know that's just kind of right right on uh, uh, right at our fingertips but i wanted to start by um just kind of reminding us of what dr hopkins had said when he you know looked at first samuel is that first and second samuel are uh, it's a it's a uh, an artificial division that it was originally one story And it was only from the Septuagint. And then from the Septuagint, it found its way eventually to us. And it wasn't always called Samuel. It was in the, um, in the Septuagint, it was called the kingdoms. And then the Vulgates shortened it to the kings. And then in uh, about 1517, it was shortened. It was changed to Samuel. So that's how the, the, the name comes to us and uh, for a very, uh, I wanted to say, uh, cause I, I, saw, uh, Cynthia Kittredge do this, but she was here is to, uh, say this book here, the David story by Robert Alter is, uh, first and second Samuel and, um, and a little bit of Kings because David's death is there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a book that I use to read, uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel for this podcast uh, because I appreciate the idea of the narrative art that is in this story. And so a very simple outline is that the first 10 chapters, we find David becoming the king of Judah and then of Israel and conflicts for that to happen. And then in chapter 11, uh, trouble ensues. Uh, that's when the Bathsheba, Uriah, Affair happens, and then there's a, just a downward spiral in David's family to the very end. And then chapters 21 to 24 represent what some people call an appendix or a coda. Uh, it has a couple of songs of David there, and it has lists of military leaders. So uh, these, this little appendix actually refers to events earlier in David's life, so it's out of chronological order. And, uh, that's what might. if someone's trying to read it, you know, as a book, just be aware when you get there, it's kind of like, you've got to the appendix. Oh, here are some things that we didn't tell you earlier. And, um, and that brings it to a close.
2: Well, Steve, I want to interrupt you. So I was, I always try to do these little studies beforehand and I'm so glad you said that because, I was thinking, and I'm sure you taught me this back in 2011, but I was thinking like, why are these random details in here? So I think that's important for people to kind of understand because sometimes we just want to read it like history, you know, where the Bible's not necessarily set up that way. So thanks for sort of pointing that out for us. Yeah, Um,
1: welcome.
2: Because people want to do that, right? We want to just read it. I remember being in class, I'm not sure if it was you or Jane, but saying like, I wanna know who um Adam and Eve's son's wives were. And she was like, eh, like you're getting, you know, and that's what we we want. We crave a story, right? And then it's not always that way.
1: Right. Yeah. And you know, this David story is is brilliant in that it is written, it's it's crafted so well as a story. It gives us little details about things that you know, really aren't necessary, I think for the overall frame. So you're right. When I, we want to read the Bible in this, you know, synchronic way, you know, and, and have the story unfold. And it does for the most part, but there are some sections where you hit that bump, like, Oh, well, this is, you know, here's an addendum to the story before we get to David's death. We mm-hmm. want to tell you this about him. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find most interesting about the David story, particularly when we think about David, the whole story of David, is that when David first speaks to Saul in First uh, Samuel, he uses in his speech uh, when he's describing how, how you know he's met the bear and the lion and how God has delivered him from them, and God will also deliver me from this Philistine. But he uses this word, deliver, not Saul, in Hebrew three times in that first speech. Uh, It's really his second speech in the narrative, but his first speech to Saul. And then in the prayer of David, um, which comes at the end of 2 Samuel in chapter 22, that same verb is repeated three times again. As David rehearses how God has delivered him from the hand of Saul, and from all of his enemies. So I want to suggest that one theological reading of the David story is that it's a story of divine deliverance, how God has interceded in uh, David's life constantly to allow him to um, be the one who receives the promise of the dynasty and, um, and to establish the kingdom of
2: Israel. Yeah. And I wonder too, because David's such an interesting character and definitely like has affairs and does a lot of wrong things. And, you know, we're all like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be the king. And look at him. He has messed up a lot. Mm-hmm. And so that word of deliver, you know, also I'm not trying to say excuses those things, but we always talk about sort of the humanness of it, but it shows God is still with David and all that. And he's going to continue to deliver David to do the things David needs to do.
1: Right. Thanks. Yeah. And it's also very dramatic The, the where this word does show up because uh, it's not a real it's not a real common word, but it's real common in first and second Samuel, which is which, you know, is one of the things that makes you think, oh, maybe I should pay attention to that as a theme. And um, when Nathan goes into David to confront him about his affair and the murder of Uriah, you know, he tells him that story about the shepherd, um, about the man who has a little ewe lamb and his neighbor who has thousands of them ends up kidnapping the little ewe lamb and serving it as dinner to his guest. And David is outraged about it. Uh, Nathan says to David, you know, when David you know, wants to know who this is and he's over sort of David uh, Nathan says to him, you are the man. And then Nathan quotes God. It says, God says this to you, David. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. So in that, in that confrontation, Nathan is affirming two things in David's relationship with God. And one is that God anointed him to be king and that God has rescued him. And it's the same word that goes back to his speech with Saul, hmm. and so not only did you know God rescue David from Goliath, he rescued him from Saul, and rescued him from his enemies. He's uh, now also going to rescue him from his sins. And this word "rescue" that's used here also too is very interesting because it has the the uh, underlying sense of to snatch away or to take away. So when he's in these contexts, when he's talking about being rescued, it's a real active thing that God snatched him away, that God snatched him away from the bear and the lion, that God snatched him away uh, from uh, Goliath and protected him. So it's, it's in that sense, it's, you know, it's really about God's grace, God's goodness, God's kindness, uh, God's chesed for
0: David. Uh, he never really deserves any of these things. Yeah, we, that's interesting. Go ahead. So it makes me think, right? Like David, look in 2022. Looking back, David is a very complicated figure. Would the contemporary reader would they have wrestled with it the same way? You know, this isn't hagiography, right? They're clear about David's faults. We can't put our minds back then, but but how has that understanding of David as a hero, a complicated figure, and everything in between. How do you have a sense of how that's changed over time?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, my my theory is that the you know, since this is part of a larger collection called the Deuteronomistic History, uh, which students love to say in class. Right? I'm sure y'all loved learning that in seminary.
2: I remember it well. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, <laughs> and um, so it's a part of this larger. Collection that we call the Deuteronomistic History. And the I believe that the theme, the theme, this is a theological retelling of Israel's history. And at the conclusion, it's an absolute failure. Uh, and it's a failure because all the kings of Israel and Judah uh, led the people to sin by worshiping idols, by worshiping other gods. Mm-hmm. So um, what uh what I think is happening is that David never is never accused of that. You know, David is just the opposite. David uh brings the ark into Jerusalem. David wants to plan to build a house for God. So there's I think the Deuteronomistic historians are wanting us to see David as he's he's not you know perfect. But also, he's not like these other kings who led people into sin by worshiping other idols. Mm-hmm. David, unlike all the others, including Solomon, was devoted to the God of Israel. And so I think that that's, I think that, yeah, I think that that's, he's kind of, it's, it's in some ways showing he's not great, but he's not like this.
2: Yeah yeah I think that's a really important point too because we do worry like david had all these did all these sins so a he's delivered he's he's in the hands of god the grace of god you know all of that but he also is different than everything we've seen before and so that sort of elevates him in some ways and i also like what alan was thinking about too like I always think, how can we find ourselves in this, in these stories? You know, how in 2022 can we be there? And I know, I'm sure Alan has had this experience, but especially this will be during Lent. You know, people come to us, they want to repent for their sins. And, you know, who am I other than a priest, I guess, to say it's okay? But I also want to be able to reflect back on these stories and say, listen, this guy was not great. He was different than all the others. And God chose him to be the king, you know, and he's done some of the things that maybe you, I mean, like affairs and things like that, that have, that happen in life, you know, and I, I think God's grace is so important in that and not a, we just excuse you, right? Like you do need to repent for your sins, but God's grace is bigger than anything we can understand. And that's what happened with for David, and that's what happens with us, right? Mm-hmm. And I right. don't want to understand that honestly. I just want to give it to God and know that that grace is there,
1: right? And I think that that is expressed so beautifully in Psalm fifty-one, which we read for Ash Wednesday. David's prayer. It's full of that uh, taking responsibility, um, you know, remorsefulness, you know, reparations you know, how do I make this right? Um, And, you know, and coming down to having, you know, um, you know, a pure heart, contrite spirit, that it's not, that doesn't seem that there's a great hierarchy
0: of Mm -hmm. sins,
1: right? Because, you know, some biblical scholars uh, with some justification read the David story as, you know, an apology for David
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that they want to say, David wasn't actually responsible for any of the murders that kept him on the throne hmm. or that got him to the throne. And there are some uh, biblical scholars who think that that was the purpose of there at the time must have been a rumors and concern that David had gotten there, not because of God's anointing him, but because he was pretty treacherous and he would just kill anybody that got in his way
2: but he was always faithful to the God of Israel. And that's what we have to just like keep remembering that over and over and over. Right. Yeah. In his, in his, even in his what, you know, maybe unfaithful heart in some ways, he was faithful to the God of Israel.
1: Yeah. And in, and in that larger picture of the Deuteronomistic history, you know, y'all have talked about, uh, in previous podcasts, you know, the idea of a king, you know, as a king, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing. You know, what, what is it? Well, all the things that are Deuteronomy warns us about what a king will do, David really doesn't do all of them. Mm-hmm. But, the, but Solomon just fulfills Deuteronomy's warning to a T. Mm-hmm.
2: You
1: know? And so it seems that when in, in this judgment that Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomistic historians have against the monarchy, David is the exception. Mm-hmm is he the you know, there is something exceptional about him and they are preserving i think that exceptionalism of his
0: yeah. and i i like that idea right like he was an exceptional leader and all of that but like the thing that you're pointing out that set him apart was his faithfulness right like he screwed up and you know i'm really thinking about the way you described the deliverance and the word there for like snatched away Yeah. You know i think about i got two kids, they're not little anymore. But when they were little, they would find themselves in trouble, partly by their own fault, but partly because they just don't understand the world. Mm -hmm. Like I would literally have to like snatch them away from the street or snatch them away from whatever trouble they're about to get themselves in. So that's what I think with David, like he's actively participating in some of this, but some of it's just, we're humans and we screw up and we don't actually know the consequences. And so we need to be snatched away from ourselves. Yeah.
1: yeah exactly. That's why I love it and some translations will give us the word rescue, which I also like because again of the 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 way the 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 one who's being rescued is passive. the one rescuing is active, and so God is active, and like your kids my I had two kids you know they had a, snatching them away. they didn't do anything when they saw that ball coming at them, you know like to jerk them out of the way and so To me, that's kind of part of what this language that's used in David is pointing, again, directing us to, is that David is not, you know, the focus here. It's God's grace, God's goodness, God's kindness, even in the midst of this really wretched family in so many ways, you know, that God still, you know, shows up. And, you know, we'll rescue them.
2: Yeah. You know, I have to do a funeral this afternoon for a 30 year old, which is not a funeral. I want to be doing and nobody wants to be in that room and everybody is very heartbroken and sad. And of course, and I, But I keep thinking, like, I feel like my job is to point out all the grace and faithfulness and snatching up that's happened since the death has occurred, right? All the people that have just loved on this, these two, these parents of this child, and, you know, all of those things. And I think we just, even in the midst of sorrow for sure, but even in the joy in all of it, we need to be rescued. We need to be snatched up. We need, and then we need to be the hands and feet of that, right? We need to let God work through us to do that snatching, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so listeners say a prayer for us this afternoon as we mourn, um, a 30 year old, you know, it's really hard, but I know God will be there and that faithfulness to us, our faithfulness to God will be there too. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is tragic. That's a hard.
2: Those are the hard ones. Hard
1: one, yes. Very much so. For,
2: for sure. Um, all right, Steve, tell us what else we need to know.
1: Well, uh, so now I kind of have this, you know, larger picture of divine deliverance as, you know, being one lens to read this David story through. Uh, so i just talked about the, the contents of the book a little bit because um, we're all familiar with uh, David and Bathsheba's um, story mm-hmm. and um, the story of Uriah's murder at the hands of David, um, not literally at his hands, but uh, David, um, some people may, and I know y'all will do a whole section on this, but just people remember is that when after Bathsheba becomes pregnant and David calls Uriah back from the battlefield, You know, he tries to get him to go down to his to his um, to see Bathsheba, tries to get Uriah to go down there and gets him drunk, you know, several nights in a row. And but Uriah doesn't go down there. And so David writes a note to the commander of the army and says, put, you know, put, um, put Uriah in the heat of the battle and then withdraw from him so he'll be killed. And I had, uh, I remember one of my mentors back when I was in college talking about this story. So because, you know, because Dave, because Joab is, I mean, um, Uriah is the one who's actually carrying the note that says he's going to die. He said, um, Uriah was a better man drunk than David was sober.
2: Wow. What a statement. (laughs)
1: That he refused to go down to his, his, be with his, uh, family. He, he knew his, his responsibility and duty was to his troops, to his own people, you know, his own fighting companions. Uh, so yeah, I've always remembered that, that that's, you know, such a, such, a, you know, and you just think about the, the, like the Shakespearean breadth of that horrible irony. Yeah. And you know,
2: that not be the case for any of us. <laughs> That's all I can say.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: but you know, there are there are many, many battles in uh 2 Samuel, but what sometimes we overlook, and, and this is just gonna lift up how you know terrible this is, but that there are there's a lot of personal violence that goes on. There are seven murders. There are ten ex executions, there are two sudden deaths, there are 12 rapes, and there's a suicide. And so it is, there's a lot of personal violence that happens. And it does, once we get to, well, really, actually, as we begin the book of Se- of second Samuel, um, Saul and Jonathan have died. And Saul's remaining son is is made king over Israel, over the the northern troops, while David is made king of the southern area of Judah. And, uh, he serves, Saul's son serves for two years before he's, um, before he's killed. And he's killed by some men who want David to be over them. And they they kill him when he's in bed, cut his head off, bring his head to David. And David has the two assassins executed for doing this. Because, again, it's so this Saul and Jonathan story relationship comes to an end and David is made king of both Israel and Judah. And then the affair with Bathsheba, uh, and the death of Uriah and David, Nathan's confrontation with David. And then is when we get, um, the story of Tamar and Amnon. And Amnon is David's oldest son. He's the heir to the throne. He rapes his half sister. Then his younger half brother, Absalom, kills him for it. Then Absalom goes on the lamb because he's afraid of his father, David, when he finally comes back after their relationship has been restored, even though David won't see him or talk to him. He then has his own rebellion, which drives David out of the city and David's general Joab then murders Absalom and comes back to the city. And what's so interesting for this is this idea of succession, because then when we get into 1 Kings, it's not David's oldest surviving son. He has six sons in Hebron before the Bathsheba affair. It's not his next in line. It's Solomon, who is Bathsheba's son. And uh, and then, and then that creates, you know, all kinds of, difficulty so that at the end of his reign then the the kingdom divides but this idea of succession is you know is such a critical theme also running through this because the most important thing is not the most important thing one of the important things that happens right is that David decides in about 2 Samuel 6 that he's going to build God a house you know no more tents let's put God in a house and Nathan says, great, do it. And then God comes to him in a dream and says, don't do it. And So Nathan comes back and he speaks the words from God. In Hebrew, it's really fun because it has it doubles the pronoun, which you don't really have to do, saying that God says to David, you, you are going to build me a house? Like, who are you, Jack? You know, think you can build me a house. I don't live in houses. I've never lived in one. And so at that point is when God then takes the same word, It says, "But I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty." So again, another example of in this book of God, you know, David, you're not qualified to build this house. Let, in fact, let me do something for you. I'm going to give you a dynasty.
2: Um, God's always doing that, right? That's right. Not, you know, I I wonder what we do with all these rapes and murders and you know all of that um and i was worried we were gonna have to like stop our time (laughs) all that but uh, i'm glad that we got to talk about really how god is always you know kind of doing that but i do think that stuff is really difficult for us as christians and believers and like what what do we do with all of this you know Mm -hmm. on the other side of it i'm like That stuff's still happening today in 2022. You know, it's all these things that are bad that are happening right now. They've happened before. And God still stayed faithful in all of that. You know, that's why I think these books that we're in right now feel so difficult, right? Is because we want to concentrate sort of on, oh, my gosh, how did God let all this happen? You know, that's what people want to say. How did God let all this happen? And that's difficult to get your mind around. I mean, that's what my parishioners ask me when we're studying this stuff. And I'm like, I think you're thinking of it in the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. God was there. People were just people, right? People were just doing human stuff that they do, right? Right. Or left.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, particularly in the story of David, you know, when it, when you would think the best course of action is to cut ties, right? God should cut ties. God should call this a wash and, you know, go anoint someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really a story of God's faithfulness in spite of how terrible we can all be. I don't, cause I don't believe God causes any of that horror. It says, this is what people do. And when people do this, What then is our response as followers of Jesus? You know, what does God require of us um, in response and, you know, to love, to love as God loved us in sending Jesus for us. So that's right. You know, and God certainly loves David a lot, right?
2: Yeah, he had to, right? We're all that messing up, you know, and I'm grateful for that. Well, Steve, thank you so much. I know we could probably keep talking for two more hours um, about Thank this. you
1: for having me. It's been great. Um, really-
2: uh, great overview i feel like we're ready alan and i are gonna have to do this by ourselves a lot but we got you and we'll call you if we need you for sure um thank you my friend you are my friend for joining now no longer my professor now my friend thank you for joining us and listeners remember that we love you but most importantly god does